What's up, everybody? Uh, it's another episode of Bounty Board. I haven't done this show in... Well, the last episode was November. Uh, so Bounty Board, 150. Welcome back. I'm in a new house. Same microphone, so whatever. You can't tell listening, but I'm in a new house. And that took forever, but it's done. And to celebrate this great reset and my new digs, I have a guest that is probably one of the weirdest stories uh, about how we met. <laughs> But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, but yes, my guest with me today is Zara. How are you, Zara? Hi, I'm doing remarkably well, all things considered. Thank you. How are you? Congratulations on the new digs. Thanks. Uh, I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm in a new house and I've got like it mostly set up. There's only a few boxes left. So I'm doing pretty good. Um, but at the same time, I do live where I live. <laughs> and I can't be doing too well because Twitter is still a thing I'm on every day and I learn about a lot of dumb shit. I feel but like that. all things considered, I'm doing pretty great. It's good. So good I teased I teased a fun thing. Yeah. <laughs> you I'm obviously you remember. Um but we met in perhaps one of the weirdest ways I've ever met anybody. Not weird because like we were doing something we shouldn't have been, but um in twenty nineteen Oh, yes. Yeah. When was when was Outpost Discovery? Twenty nineteen. It was a blur of time for me, and time is increasingly <laughs> fake in the post and in the post dark times. times. <laughs> yes. So I believe twenty nineteen is correct. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I like I went to Comic Con in July, and then immediately like three days back home. Immediately after that, drove with my grandmother up to Chicago. Uh, people who've been listening to like the podcast I've made for a while would know that. My grandma and I did a podcast called Procedural Generations. Um, my wife came it's up with very that name. Good. It's very good. It's very good. I remembered my wife came up with it one day and I just thanked her and she was like, that's random as shit, but you're welcome. But it was me and my grandma playing through a bunch of different games and we decided that our second season was going to focus on Halo. And then sure enough, turns out Halo's doing this like traveling in-universe museum exhibit thing. And I was like, well, this is great. I'm going to ask if I can come as part of like our podcast. And 343 was so quick to be like, hell yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit. Um, so my grandma and I hopped in the car and drove to Chicago in August of 2019. And we get there and it's incredible. We met all sorts of cool people. But we met you cosplaying as Cortana, I think. At least yeah, one of the days. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so like I don't know, I followed you on Twitter and you followed me back and we I like things you post and you like things I post and then one day I was like, Hey, you wanna come on podcast? And you're like, Of course. Um, so here we are. Yeah. So, How was Outpost Discovery as a person working in it? Oh. I know you I'm asking you to remember something four years ago, but <laughs> what is time? Don't quantify that amount of time. It oh well, was... I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It was <laughs> genuinely one of the most buckwild projects that I've gotten to work on with such a phenomenal team of people. And it, we, we managed to pull that thing together in, in a shorter amount of time than it takes to make a human child. So <laughs> I think all things considered, that's insane. everything good, bad, and otherwise, I came away feeling really proud of what we achieved. And of sure. course, hindsight being 2020, there's always things that you wish could have gone one way or another way. But overall, it was such a 
cool thing to get to work on, especially as a longtime yeah. fan who's been going to conventions since I was in the womb. Uh, it it was a very gratifying experience to be on the inside building it from the ground up, going, you know, it would be cool. It'd be cool if we could do this. And then, you know, budgetary restraints would be like, okay, we can't do that. Well, how about this instead, though? Sure, sure, sure. Crazy that that was put together in so short an amount of time. Like, it didn't show. Everything about it was absolutely amazing. Um, and, like, just the the access, right, to people doing, making the thing that, you know, so many people love. Also, like, a complete uh, unintended consequence. Like, I, I very clearly remember, like, in the first little meet and greet, being like, I'm about to introduce myself as, like, a podcaster and indie journalist. And then I have to introduce my grandma. If I do it like that, people are going to think this 28-year-old kid, or however old I was then, uh, dragged his grandma out of this. So I remember turning to her like four spaces from the front and being like, you go first. You walk up first and tell them what you're doing. And then say, I'm your grandson. And I do feel like that that cemented us in people's minds and hearts a little bit differently. Because <laughs> everyone was like, wait, you do what? And then was like, oh, you do it with your grandson? And it was completely different. Everyone loved us. Uh, but the unintended consequence really was that, like, my grandma's been playing games for about 10 years now, which is, mm -hmm. I've been playing for three times longer, um, which is funny to think about. But, like, she's, they've always kind of been unapproachable as from, like, mm -hmm. a design or from a who's building it standpoint. And then I was able to take her to this. And not only was she able to see, like, the people that make the, the thing, but also to see like so many strong, uh, like non-white male people in leadership, and she was like, "That's amazing." And I was like, "You know, it is definitely." I also don't think it's like that in many other places, but like the the, the Halo folks are fucking cool. And she was like, "Yes, they are." Um, <laughs> man, that experience was so wild. So that I, makes me so happy to hear. Honestly, I it was great. So. My mom came to the first location that we did in Florida. As I mentioned, I've sure. been going to conventions since I was in the womb. I come sure. from a family where going to conventions was a family affair. We would go to Star Trek or anime cons. I'm originally from Georgia, so Dragon Con and Anime Week in Atlanta were my, my home base stomping ground. So sure. when I told mom I was working on something like this, she got really excited and, of course, wanted to come. And she had a blast. And yeah. I, I remember telling her about meeting you and your grandmother afterwards. I don't know if she ever actually listened to any episodes of the podcast, but she was like, oh, I'm so glad other families get to share this the way that we share it. Because she's yeah. more of a casual gamer, but she's still a gamer. And I think is similar to your grandmother, as I'm sure she's experienced the vastly unintended and unmarketed to swath of people who are still playing games. But yes. a lot of folks just don't think about the appeal and the fact that it goes beyond a core demographic. Yeah, 100%. And like in the last few years, I think we've been very fortunate to see a lot of developers pay attention to like accessibility specifically for that reason. Yes. Okay, not specifically for that reason, but again, unintended. Like you've got a bunch of uh, older and differently abled gamers playing games already. And then you like make things easier to access in a less complex way. And it's like, oh, I can turn off most of the buttons for this thing and still have a good time. Or I can experience this story without having to like learn the, the parry timing, <laughs> you know, things that make games really difficult. Um, and of course are the selling point of some games, but like 
if you can add accessibility stuff, who cares? Uh, there's a constant argument. It's like, oh, accessibility breaks up the art. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't. No. Um, <laughs> you can keep convincing yourself that, but no. Yeah. I, I fail to see the loss in making sure that more people can enjoy something that you made. And yeah. I think accessibility, like many things, a lot of folks don't think about the fact that whatever their designed intention is, it will have so many more far-reaching impacts on people beyond whatever that intention is. I think the the curb cut effect or cut curb effect is a really good example that I point yeah. to frequently because, yeah, this was intentionally built so that folks in wheelchairs can easily navigate the bump up and down from a curb on a sidewalk, but delivery drivers use it. Folks who have strollers use it. There's all sorts of other different far-reaching impacts, and that's true, I think, for accessibility across the board. It's a thing that I give yeah. a lot of shits about, and it always makes me kind of sad whenever people punch down on it, and it yeah. makes me happy to see that gaming as an industry is moving to boot toward being more proactively inclusive of those accessibility aspects from the get-go sure. whenever things are being designed. Sure, yeah, and you can tell, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, Last of Us 2 had some of the most extensive accessibility uh, features. Um, I played a good amount. I fell off of it, but I played a good amount of Grounded, the uh, Obsidian survival yeah. game where you play Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but in the backyard. Um, they've got a thing for people that have arachnophobia that, like, you're fighting insects and the level bosses are spiders <laughs> and they're terrible. I'm not, I don't, I don't have a phobia of spiders, but let me tell you that game sure made me hate them more. Um, they like hiss and bark at it's the worst. Um, but you can make them no longer spiders depending on how far you slide that slider. And like, I also, this is a complete aside. Um, but like, when you see accessibility features change a thing to the point where like the thing isn't unrecognizable but it might be more scary but for a different reason like you turn the spiders into basically floating marshmallows Mm -hmm. (laughs) which like it's not a spider cool no longer as terrifying to people specifically afraid of spiders but to me who doesn't like scary shit on a regular of giant hissing marshmallow was just as scary (laughs) It's and like I was a like, that's to Ghostbusters going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just the Stay Puffed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had this fear, but now I do. Thanks, oh, Grounded. man. Thanks, Grounded. That's why I stopped. <laughs> that's why I stopped playing. <laughs> you learned something about yourself you didn't want to know. That's yeah, I, I, I cranked an accessibility feature and it made the game inaccessible to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I love accessibility stuff and it's great when games think about it from the start. And we're starting to see that more, which rules. PlayStation just put out their version of an adaptive controller like Xbox has. Um, good for them. Like, just mm-hmm. flood flood markets with more stuff that makes it easier for more people to, to interact with things. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Absolutely. Um, what, what a great problem to have to think about the potential of there being so many different options to go, hmm, which adaptive controller setup do I want between all of these things? Because, yes. you know, 20 years ago, Unless you had something that was custom designed and custom built, there weren't options. And now in the advent of 3D printing and greater sharing, greater accessibility and active development of things like Microsoft and Sony, that's starting to become more and more of a reality. And that's really yeah. exciting to me. Yeah, because the, like, the market exists, right? Like mm-hmm. I spend $200 on a bespoke Elite Series 2 controller that I design through Design Labs. There's someone just like me who would spend just as much 
on all of the gadgets and gadgets to make it so that they can play in the way that they want to. Uh, why not create those things? Exactly. It's like it's someone's gonna do it. So mm-hmm. just be the people to do it. Uh, but speaking of someone's gonna do it, you make games or used to, and do art for games or used to. <laughs> so like you just give uh, introduce yourself as it were and let people know like more of who you are other than just halo which i know is <laughs> far more than your identity and um i don't know like you've said you were a a, a con goer from the womb so i imagine your road to being involved in nerdy things for a living started pretty early so like what was that like yes so who am i uh and what do i do uh, my name yes. is zara Varen. I am a non-binary game developer and multidisciplinary artist. I'm currently the art director and senior product designer at Dual Wield Studio, which is a delightful, scrappy upstart of a place where we make things we love for the things that we love. And that ranges from video games to books to a whole lot of other stuff in between. I, I love our team. And we care a whole lot about what we do. Before that, (laughs) (laughs) I was at 343 Industries, uh, part of the Microsoft Hydra on the Halo team. And I I had a unique role where I was working with consumer products. And I had basically a foot in the world of developing game assets and then translating those game assets into everything that could exist outside of the game. So if that was a costume or an action figure or an art book or pretty much everything that was outside of the core Halo game was various things that I had to put my hands on in order to make game assets usable for people outside of a game studio, which for folks that are not familiar with that, it's a little bit like translating a dramatically different language into pictographs. Sure. That's a terrifying thing to think about, (laughs) but I love it so much. (laughs) It was a whole lot of fun, and I got to work on so many really wonderful, cool things, which included projects like Halo Outpost Discovery. And before 343, I worked at a number of other small indie game studios, some of which no longer exist, like Glue Mobile, where I worked on such titles as uh, Dino Hunter, Deer Hunter. There was a Terminator Genesis game that I think was my first voice acting that was ever published. Amazing. Britney Spears game, Nicki Minaj game. There were a lot of fun, wild projects, (laughs) I think. I don't think that it ever got released, but there is an action movie star game that we worked on briefly that was like, okay, mobile games <laughs> is a whole buck wild oh, man. unto yeah. itself. Yeah, uh, that that stuff is fucking vicious. Yeah, yeah. And before <laughs> that, I was in the Marine Corps for a total of 11 years, which had a little bit of overlap whenever I started learning to make games. But sure. yeah, I've, I've been on a nerd my whole damn life. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, I love it. So, um, I have one question that's gonna seem pointed, but I am not angry at you. Um, yeah. Why doesn't Halo make more? Why didn't you make them make more hats? So, <laughs> the the answer to your question is a fascinating one, and this is true across the oh, board, shit. whether it's Halo or other things in the right. world of licensing and merch making. Right? Like, say I want to go out and I want to buy a Spider-Man hat. Yeah. Every single person that makes merch is contracted in a specific region of the world to where they can sell in and where they can distribute. So the short version is we made a lot of hats. They just weren't sold and distributed in the United States, unfortunately. But for a lot of the things 
that were sold and distributed in the United States, oftentimes there there might be some exclusivity and say sure. for instance, you know, merchandise maker A says we want to have exclusive rights to making hats. Nobody else can make hats but us. I don't think that that was the case, but sometimes that does happen. Sure. And usually what that means is that there's even less distribution and, and fewer options. So sure. what we tried to do was go, okay, well, if we're going to have only five hats that are released in the United States or in the North American territory in this calendar year, we're going to make five really strong, badass hats. Whereas in Latin America, there might be 50 and it, it just hmm. varies by region. Wild. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's an acceptable <laughs> answer. I yep. became a hat person last year. Uh, I have a very big head, and I found a like a uh, one of the floppy <laughs> tape measures. That's a terrible way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Like a clothing tape measure. Uh, yep. And I was like, yep. I, I know can, exactly I can, what you mean. I have several yeah, right here in my drawer. I, what is the word I'm looking for? But anyway, <laughs> it's yes. A tape measure. You get it. Yes, a tape measure. Uh, and I realized, like, oh, I could find out exactly what size my head is. So I wrapped it around my head and then uh, gasped at the number and then looked it up and was like, oh, and then found it's not so my head's not so big. It's impossible to find hats, but I have to get a hat in an eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then since like January of last year, I've bought like <laughs> 18 hats. My wife hates it. Um, <laughs> I love them to death. Uh, this one is like the um, Hokkaido Nippon ham fighters, like the Japanese baseball team that that drafted nice. Shohei Otani. I saw it and was like, that's a, just a good, it's a good hat. And she was like, Japan but why? Japan takes their yaku very seriously. Man. Japanese baseball culture is wild. Yeah. I saw a TikTok of a Japanese like batting cage. Mm. And I was like, can I just move? <laughs> can I just not <laughs> be here anymore? Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If baseball. You've never, I played. You've never gotten to visit. I hope you get to. I have not. The only, the only time I've left the country was to Scotland. Um, Actually, the same year uh, Outpost Discovery happened. I did a lot that year. It was a very busy year. Um, yeah, you were you were packing it in while you could without knowing what was ahead. Without knowing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot. And then, like, the next year, I did nothing. Um, That's fair. I'm, I am also a hat person, admittedly. But that is because my pale, pasty frame and the sunlight don't get Not along very well. So <laughs> even if I'm just briefly jumping outside, I, I have hats literally stationed beside either door. Hats and sure. sunglasses. <laughs> yep. Always got to have that sun protection. Oh, mm-hmm. my kid's going to bed. Speaking of pale, redheaded people, say hi. Hello. <laughs> Good night, kiddo. Listen to mommy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the way that my new house, our new house is set up, um, everything feeds back to the back of the house. That's a weird way to describe it. But mm. the hallway from the like living room goes into my office and then through my office on the other side is the stairs. So I have like a command center. So my kids can't sneak out while I'm playing games. Cause like they have to walk past me. It's great. Um, <laughs> she's only six. She doesn't sneak out, but she you did somehow. Yet. <laughs> no, not yet. God, Ugh, not yet. Somehow she did figure out how to, in between me stopping playing games, smoking one cigarette and coming back inside, come downstairs and sleep in my bed the other night. So I like went to lay down and was like, guess I'm sleeping in the kid's bed because she sleeps like a starfish and I wasn't going to try and move her. (laughs) That's very Um, fine. That's almost cat rules. Yes. Speaking of of tiny, pale, redheaded things. My cat 
is is Taki. You will see her little chicken nugget tail. She's a Japanese bobtail, so she's got a really really short little nubbin. Oh, whoa! Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I just saw it. That's amazing. Yeah, she has a bed that's right here on my desktop, and just sometimes refuses to settle. And now sure. is one of those times. So like sure. Jaws, you'll see her crossing back and forth. <laughs> just a wandering uh, horde of lovable animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played so I played baseball for like. 16 years nice. something like that i played baseball for a very long time so just jumping back real quick to wanting to go to japan one of the number one things i want to do is specifically go to like japan and korea and watch and go to baseball games because like there's no other culture well that's not true also somewhere in central america or latin america would be great but like not many other cultures uh do baseball as big as america because it's a very boring American sport to most people. Uh, but Japan fucks with baseball, and I love that. Korea fucks with baseball. Um, so I very badly want to go. So someday, think, fingers crossed, maybe I'll end up like accidentally getting a, a teach abroad grant, and I'll go teach game design in Japan. That would be, be awesome. <laughs> I would never come back. <laughs> I would never come back. I'd be like, babe, bring the, bring the kids. We're staying here forever. Um, I, I was very fortunate. I was stationed in Japan for a couple of years while I was still active sick. duty. It was my, my first duty station, and I felt like I got away with so much because I am one of those nerds that I taught myself enough Japanese that by the time I was in college, I was helping teach the Japanese classes. So by the time I was in the Marine Corps, I got a Japanese language certification to be an interpreter and kept working on it while I was living there. And I, I used to do fan subs and... and like manga scanlations and all sorts of other stuff to help teach those skills. Sure. So while I was there, getting to explore all of that felt surreal in the very best of ways. So sure, all sure. that to say, I sincerely hope that you get to go. You got to let me know if you have yes. your way over there. Yes. Don't worry. You'll, I'll be like, I got to tell Zara. I got to. <laughs> I like, right. I'll be on the plane. Like, guess where I'm going? Uh, yeah. If you ever get a message from me on Twitter, that's guess where I'm going. You'll know. Um, so I have a question. You said yes. you like hats. And I like I bought this hat because of logos. Mm -hmm. There are so many things I want to talk about. I'm sorry. I haven't podcasted in ages. Yeah. I'm a big graphic design nerd. Mm -hmm. Like to the max. Uh, I constantly scroll like uh, there's a really there's a really great boutique uh, TTRPG uh, site called Heart of the Deernicorn that sells a lot of cool stuff. And most of it sells to me because like. I look at the cover and I'm like, yeah, I'm buying that. Um, mm -hmm. Also, like dual wheel studio stuff, I'm constantly like, man, the little ramen sticker, fuck, I need it because <laughs> I love ramen so much and it's so well designed. I bought this hat specifically for the logo and like I fuck with Japanese baseball, but not as much as I did after I bought the hat because like I had to justify the purchase. Mm -hmm. I have to talk about this because design. There's two ways this conversation goes. Uh, there's two different ways to have this conversation because we will talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because holy shit. But before that, because I feel like that'll be longer, I also cannot stop thinking about the marathon trailer from a week ago. Uh-huh. And... I, I literally <sighs> had that on my list of highlights from the PlayStation Showcase. Oh, man. I've watched that trailer probably 20 times. And then today... Scrolling Twitter, I like. I was just curious because I have not stopped thinking about it. I found like the art director or the franchise art director 
and then like read some of their tweets and then today I found out that like that trailer was put together by Antibody which they did the opening credits for like Halt and Catch Fire and True Detective and Daredevil mm-hmm. and the like cinematic stuff for The Division and Ghost Recon and like I fucking love Antibody stuff and Patrick Clare and Raul Marks the guys that I, I just lost my mind it was great but anyway <laughs> um, what did did you you said you've that was one of your favorite things from that showcase. Mm-hmm. Why? So let me back up real quick. Oh, because I'm going to tell you something important to understand about me. My favorite okay. color is texture, <laughs> and that throws a lot of people off. Very very. No, frequently. I completely get it, dude. <laughs> like if I have to quantify it with a Pantone call, it I can. I really like cobalt blue, but I love the interplay of what different textures can do. And I think the marathon trailer did a whole lot of the same reason why I really love the aesthetic deliciousness of the Spider-Verse, where they understood how to do the interplay of not just silhouette, not just shape, but you got that nice contrast of texture between here's a solid fill and then here is this void space here's the texture of what the character has and it's going to vibrate visually against all of these other things. So or I like think, Hobie who's different parts oh, of him are animated in different verse. fucking ways, uh-huh. dude animated on threes with completely on threes and fours and twos for him specifically. Yes. Fucking so, stupid. <laughs> all of that to say, I think what, what I love most is whenever I can tell that there were very deliberate choices made to design something to have a sure. specific effect Because I think the flip side of that is there's a whole lot of design by rote that I don't mean to diminish the work that many other people do, but oftentimes a thing looks the way that it looks because everybody else is doing it that way. And there wasn't a whole lot of deliberate consideration given to, well, why should we make it teal? Why not make it vibrant flamingo pink? Sure. And I love it whenever you can tell that somebody is actually deciding to carve out their own niche space with the design. And I feel like Marathon extremely did that. Yeah, it gets it. It gets it. And like, uh, so I've recently spoke, my grandmother uh, has been an artist her whole life. um, And now in her seventies does like um, alcohol ink uh, abstract Mm -hmm. art, which is beautiful. It has so many really nice flowing organic shapes. And that is my favorite favorite stuff dude that stuff is it's great and what's funny is like a little aside before 2018 uh i would go with my grandma and grandpa to the art museum in st louis because they have Mm -hmm. uh, a really nice one it's free and we would always get to the contemporary art and they would both kind of like not sneer but they would always kind of chuckle at Mm -hmm. the like super non-representational very abstract stuff and be like well what does it mean and i was like well you have to like approach it from a like what does it mean and like feel it when you're there which is sounds like i'm high as shit uh which i'm sure they're always like okay buddy um but after my grandpa passed in 2018 um she went from being a representational artist to a very abstract artist and i remember one day being like you get it now and she was like oh no yeah i get it now and i was like that's awesome something just changed and she went oh the only way i can express this is weird and does that and it's great but that's beautiful genuinely i dude (laughs) one of the coolest evolutions i've ever seen uh it resonates a lot with with some of my experience so my dad passed in in early days of covid 
And sure. that was a very sudden shock. And for me, one of my coping mechanisms always is art. I create, that's how sure. I interpret the world around me. And sure. I started making it. Basically, I learned twine by myself so that I could Jeez. make a game about it to cope. So yeah. it, it resonates, yeah. I think, in in finding a new creative outlet to find a, a safe space for expression, even if it's just for you, whether or not anybody else ever sees it. Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. I So uh, I keep changing tracks. Don't worry, I've kept track. Uh, <laughs> so after watching the marathon thing, and then, like, you know, my grandma, the rest of my family came home, and I was like, everybody watched this trailer three times with me. Uh, I'm going to put on my giant 4K TV and put it on the stereo. And we're just going to watch it a bunch. Um, one of the ways I described it that was confusing, and so I'm going to ask you, it was confusing to my grandma, so I'm going to ask you mm. if you kind of get where I'm coming from, because Spider-Verse is the exact same. It's so good, it makes me mad. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced that? Like, yes. not at not at the fact that somebody, like, I'm not mad at them for being talented, but I am. Like, I remember I've had the feeling a few times in movies, like Dune and Blade Runner, both, 2049 specifically. Mm-hmm. I walked out of them and was like, man, fuck those guys. Like, how the <laughs> fuck is that so good? Um, literally, the marathon trailer ended, and I went, what the fuck, the first time I saw it. Because, like, it was just everything... I love, and also both Spider-Verse movies. Mm-hmm. I walk out and like, dude, across the spider, both of them, absolutely both of them, but across the Spider-Verse just felt like a thousand of the most talented people in the world flexing how talented they were <laughs> for mm-hmm. two hours. Like it ended and I was like, how did they build something where they went, what if we did this? And their creative leads went, fuck it, go for it. And then they nailed every time they tried something. Yeah. So have you ever have you ever had that response to something? Yes. And I, I think Spider-Verse is a really good call out here because the, the way that I contextualize it is whenever you have people of all of these varied backgrounds and skill levels, and, and for me, I try to avoid saying the word talent because I think oftentimes people conflate talent with being this innate born ability. Sure, you just, 100%. You grew and you magically do that. No, it's skill. People work yeah. hard to grow the skill in the same way that you got to hit the gym if you want to build muscles. You got to sketch in that sketchbook all day, yeah, every sure. day, if you want to get good at drawing. Yeah, so, I appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, to see, to see the sheer breadth of skill that is across any industry, but to have it kind of diminished into a single point of view for so long and again spider-verse i think is a really good example because within the animation industry the currency of the realm that has been the king of all animation has been pixar and the pixar aesthetic and the pixar method and i know there's some people for whom that is their jam i admittedly am very aesthetically biased i don't love the way that a lot of pixar movies look and it's visual anathema to me so suddenly seeing any studio that dares to go actually y'all got that i'm gonna do my (laughs) own thing yeah yeah short of quoting miles literally in the second movie but it's really refreshing to see a studio that says we know what the status quo is we don't want to do that we want to do something new and fresh and difficult and different even though you know, our investors are going to get worried because they don't know if this is actually going to sell. Shut up, sit down. Yeah. Let us make art. 
and, and let him cook. Let him cook. Such fucking good art. Oh, dude, it's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Like, what's also crazy is that like when the first Spider Verse came out, and we can fully transition to that. I got my marathon bit out. But like when the first Spider Verse came out, I remember going and being like, animated Spider Man movie. Everyone's talking shit about it. What the fuck? Like, how can it? And then walked out and was like, oh. Oh, okay, that might be the best Spider-Man movie. Um, <laughs> what's crazy is, yes, they did, like, I am constantly inundated by the Disney-Pixar aesthetic. Uh, I have two kids. Like, just that's how it is. I watched uh, I watched Coco for, like, an entire month. <laughs> I watched mm-hmm. Encanto for an entire <laughs> month. I watched Moana for maybe three months. So, like, I understand the Disney-Pixar style and aesthetic and the like the characters retain um some of the cartoony like bigger eyes for better expression things like that kind of borrowing from anime and ways like that but that like they really flex on their worlds being very realistic and like that works to an extent right like it's fine um seeing some of the water effects and being like damn that looks really good um I love it, and it's fine at the same time. It, but like, what was so crazy about the first Spider Verse coming out the way it did is, yes, they did go, y'all got that one. We're gonna do our own thing, but they somehow did that in a way that didn't feel outlandish, right? Like it was different, but it was like, yeah, it's Spider Man. Spider Man looks like this, which is a really fucking hard thing to to nail. Yeah, they right? threaded like, the needle between being a direct love letter not only to the medium of animation, but also to the medium of comics. They took those yeah. two worlds, put that peanut butter and the chocolate together, and made a mm. beautiful feast of a mm. film. Twice! Twice! Tw- dog, <laughs> they did it a second fucking time. It's so, <laughs> it's like, so infuriating. Just, just in case you weren't paying enough attention the first time. And by the way, the third one is already in the oven. You are yeah. welcome. Yeah, I walked out. So, so a little little thing. This might be a spoiler to some people, but the marketing originally had part one. They dropped part one off the marketing. Um, so I forgot. So when the fucking to be continued hit in that movie, I it was like a jump scare. I gasped. I was like, no, no. I, and then the guy next to me was like, we're just going to have to wait three years, aren't we? And I was like, shut up, bro. Shut up. <laughs> And then, like, the next day, it was like, yeah, yeah, it's coming out in March. And I was like, oh, thank fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, like, fucking, I, I can't talk. <laughs> Miles <laughs> jumping over things and it, like, flashing a comic panel real quick for a freeze frame that, like, if you bl- if you literally blink, you'll miss it. Um, I'm going to go, I'm taking my uh, the rest of my family because I went and screened it uh, last week. I'm taking the rest of my family this week. I'm already in the mindset of like this shit I missed, 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't wait to go back. But I, I just know that like <laughs> any fucking time Hobie Brown's on screen, I'm gonna be like, yeah, that guy. Do you, do you want me to tell you my favorite thing that? So I've I've only been to see it twice. I saw okay. it once. I I found the literal earliest showing that was within I think 20 miles miles of where I live now. And it was at <laughs> 2 p.m. the day before it technically came out. And I was like, good sure. enough. All right, work. I, I don't exist as a person. I'm just going to go yell about comics for the next forever. Went and saw Fuck it. Fuck yes. Considered going and seeing it again. <laughs> but <laughs> then made friends, uh, made plans with a friend to go see it at a drive-in theater, which sure. was fucking phenomenal. And I shared this with him, and I don't know if it enhanced or ruined it. 
But color theory, going back to my favorite color being texture, but color sure. theory is used so intelligently in this movie. And then, Bro, it's... Oh, yes. So my Go favorite on. thing yes. is that every single color has its own identity. Whenever yeah. you see purple, you know that that indicates the prowler. Whenever you see that like mixture of the trans pride flag that is the pink, the teal, the white, you know that those are Gwen's colors. Whenever yep. you see that red and black, that's miles all the way. But they also start intermingling and mixing near the end of the movie without getting into any spoilers territory. You have purple set up against a backdrop of that red and blue with miles in the identity and red and blue combined yeah, dude. Purple. <laughs> Whenever so something dumb. is off or wrong, the primary color is green. And there's a major thing that happens, again, close to the end of the movie. And I immediately picked up on it because suddenly everything was green. And yeah. green means there's something wrong. Yeah, I, dude. Especially watching it another time, I was just going, holy shit. It's just... Yeah. It's so rare that things manage to so clearly have such a concise color identity, and that stood out beautifully to me, among every yeah. other thing, you know? Man, that whole that whole apartment in green, I was like, this is mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I realized what happened as other characters realized what happened, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, also, outside of just, like, maybe not even outside of, but alongside the really really well used you know instances of color theory like that you also have the instances where like things are changing mid-conversation where like in other movies the thing you pick on when something changes between conversation uh you're you're their continuity errors right you're like oh well the drink was higher or lower or the the, not nacho libre but um (laughs) um the, the one with john heater where he's a uh, oh Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. Oh. Thank you. Sorry, I can't believe I forgot. The I've name only of that. seen it once. <laughs> oh man, it's great. It's the dumbest shit in the world. It's great. Um, but there's a the scene where he's talking to his uncle in like a diner, and the, the plate of fries gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Continuity errors, right? Some people play with them. Some people do whatever. But the the every time, without spoiling, Gwen is talking to her dad. Mm-hmm. color changes so fucking much oh. and there's this thing in the beginning where like she's in like these big like broad brush stroke mm-hmm. super pastelly backgrounds and it like shifts over her shoulder and you see that end and this like black hallway with like a white beam across the top mm-hmm. and then her dad silhouetted in like gray and red and you're like, why? And then it cuts back to her and cuts back to him. And for both of them, the colors are completely different. Uh, but like, it feels a lot less like a mistake because obviously it's not. Um, and it feels a lot more like, how do we illustrate like turmoil? Mm-hmm. And then what if we illustrate that turmoil by like fucking with the palette of these characters in a way that like they're not out of their palette almost ever but their palettes get inverted when their feelings are unsure or the palettes become like weirdly mixed when they don't, they have a mixed mind of something, man. Or the way that they mix together. There's a point early on where Gwen hugs her father and the shot is of her running across the room. And then there's a beautiful wash of color that blends everything together and goes from being very cool toned because again, 
it utilizes cool tones to show that despondence or discomfort into warm tones again which super is warm yeah lovely and beautiful and it radiates out from where Gwen is embracing her father yeah and just one the fact that they managed to animate watercolor not just the movement of the pigment but yeah. the transition in that way is, is just staggeringly beautifully done but two again the, the very very deliberate choice because it's again to your point not a continuity error every single one of those little choices add up to make something that is just such a beautiful canvas overall where you can see every single hand that was part of composing every single shot from whoever wrote that script page to the storyboard artists to all of the lighting artists and every other person who managed to yeah. work on every single frame it's just beautiful it's it's just packed to the gills mm -hmm. with like little shit to come across like when from the trailer when fucking uh rio realizes he's got a b in spanish and she snaps at him and the <laughs> fucking accent is uh -huh. the puerto rican flag like uh -huh. why <laughs> And why and like again it just feels like a creative group of people that were like what if we did this and the answer to the question why was always why not mm -hmm. and they just kept doing it uh it fucking rules there's so many of those little things too we like when they're in uh Mumbatan mm -hmm. and fucking Pavitter is like when he is swinging through the city he's also like dancing he swings yes. completely differently than everybody else but he's like dancing the whole time and i was just like <laughs> it's why I, not I, I forget the name of it but i saw that it was his movement patterns were loosely based on an indian style of martial art and one of the animators actually shared some of the videos that they had said see looks like this and sure enough Great. you can see the direct correlation between them being inspired by those movements and incorporating them into the way that he navigates mumbatan it's just ugh so much it's love so and good. care and it's so good it's i think the saddest part is this amount of love and care often goes into vast creative projects every single game that i've worked on no matter yeah. how much it shows people give a shit nobody works on video games because they're like i <laughs> yeah. guess i guess it's, dude Funny. i mean i'm sure that there's somebody out there but <laughs> the vast majority of folks <laughs> that i know myself included make games because we're inspired and excited and we want sure. to take something of ourselves and put it into that vast collaborative process and turn yeah. it into a meaningful interactive narrative and unfortunately i think a lot of things don't really manage to hit the end audience with the same efficacy that i think spider-verse does and it makes yeah. me wonder what other ways could every other creative endeavor somehow manage to tap into that one i think sharing sure. sharing the process sharing the behind the scenes is yeah really that was a really cool way. that was a really cool thing we accidentally sorry i didn't mean to completely interrupt no. you um no, no, no. that's yeah. a really cool thing we accidentally came across last year mm -hmm. like i was teaching um the moment maybe not the moment but definitely the moment on Twitter when it got huge that the Rockstar leak happened mm. and everyone was like, this looks like shit. And it was like, man, <laughs> tell me I'm you've very... never made a game without telling Fuck, me you've never made a game. Dude, I'm very straightforward <laughs> with my students. Um, and like, I try to suss out whether or not they're, you know, comfortable with the, I'm raised by Navy people. I swear a lot. I'm a Marine. Um, it's very fortunate that I've managed to say so many complete sentences without utilizing fuck 
every hey, other word. Hey, hey, you know what? <laughs> it's fine. I am a fan of vulgar tamesis. It's great. Um, but like the moment a kid was like, this game looks like shit. I was like, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, this game is not going to be done for like two or three more years. One, that's the first thing. Two, all of the things that make it look great at the end, not all of them, but large portions of them come towards the end because you don't want to make everything look great and then a big chunk of the game get cut out and oops, we wasted 3,000 man hours. Mm-hmm. And I, I did that for like two or three minutes and they were like, okay, my bad. <laughs> I was like, I'm not <laughs> mad at you, but also don't feed that little gremlin machine on Twitter that's like, ooh, fucking mm-hmm. looks like trash. Also, a uh, good piggyback off the like, no one makes games and goes, mm, fuck it. And just, eh. Everyone cares deeply and tries hard. Um, sometimes it's out of their power. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a really big fan of Redfall. And good. like, I have such a problem with all of the people that are so mad at it. Because like, don't get me wrong, as a game critic over the last... 13, 12 years at this point, like, I understand disliking something. Um, the difference is, like, you can dislike something with grace or you can be a dick. And, like, yeah. the the pervasive voice on a lot of social media and things like that is, like, I'm just going to be an asshole. And, actually, it's funny, but I hate it. I wrote a review about Morbius last year, and did that like I was so mad that it was so bad mm. that I like made fun of it for a review mm. and to this day that review's gotten more interaction um than anything I've ever written uh it was for another site it wasn't on my site but like it's gotten more and it got more interaction than anything I'd ever written more people commented on it um I got more attention and I feel so fucking bad that I was that mean about a thing that like hundreds if not thousands of people worked on um, so I'm not saying that was like the first time I thought about it, but it was definitely the first time I realized like, oh, this is why people do it. Mm. Everybody fucking paid attention to it. Um, I didn't want that though. Like, I don't care. I'd rather 10 people read my thing and love what I wrote and be moved by it. than a thousand people read any one thing and be like, yeah, yeah, it was funny how mean he was. Um, but yeah, I have such a problem with a lot of the Redfall feedback cause it's just angry people acting like they deserved something i think deserved is is the key word there there is i think among gamers in particular and i have a number of theories about why there's a sense of entitlement that many people approach video games with so when a thing is not up to whatever it is that they want they get mad to a point of harmful vitriol that is far far beyond anything reasonable and it's not acceptable It also is the sort of thing that oftentimes if you were to talk to them in person, they would not go anywhere near that hard. But between social media making everybody think that they can get away with being a caped crusader. And (laughs) I think that entitlement, that vitriol just snowballs. And I think your point about the, the degree of engagement that negativity gets in particular, it's something that I try to be proactively aware of. One, with the way that I engage with things. And two, with the things that I'm putting out into the world. You know what? I got a finite amount of time on this planet. 
I would so much rather spend it with things that bring me joy and making things that bring other people joy sure. than shitting on somebody else's bad day. Because, spoilers, everybody has a bad day. We are yeah. all going to fuck up at one point or another. Sure. And we all, I hope, have the capacity to give each other grace instead of kicking somebody when they're down. And that's, I think, yeah. a horrible thing to have seen with the way that Redfall has been oh. lambasted from so many corners, not just by gamers, but I think also from fellow devs was the most yeah. disappointing thing. And yeah. It's not okay. It's not acceptable no. because everybody and their brother has normalized it instead of calling it out and saying, hey, that's not cool. Then it just sort of self-propagates and drowns out any sort of positivity. So it makes me really yeah. happy to hear that you're enjoying it. And yeah. it doesn't matter how good or bad a thing is. Somebody's always going to hate it. Somebody is yeah. always going to like it. I have played many games that I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. Oh, I found exactly fun in it, it in these places, yeah. and I'm glad that I got these experiences out of it. I'm going to set this down. I don't need to go angry hate tweet at yeah. a bunch of strangers who spent countless years of their lives trying to make a good game. Trying to make a thing they believed in, probably mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the, the, this decision for me is one of my favorite just tools to use frequently it's just like i constantly play because I, I write about games i constantly play stuff and i'm like yeah i played three hours of doom 2016 mm-hmm. and was like mm, the game's great and it's beautiful and it plays well and the music fucking rules i just couldn't play it mm-hmm. it just didn't work for me like moving sideways as fast as i move forwards threw my brain off never got in rhythm it made me feel weird fine but i wasn't like I should shit on this. That might be a bad example because, like, no one was shitting on that game. But, like, most interestingly with Redfall, and this is part of why, again, I don't really listen to anything anyone says about it. So not to take away from how great a person he is. My uncle, we play, we have a family game night every Monday night. So, like, after we're done recording this, I will go play more Redfall with my mom, who's in her 50s. My grandma, who's in her 70s, my uncle, who's in his 40s, and myself in my 30s. It rules. Again, procedural generations. We're all just mm-hmm. generations of gamers. Um, I love that. That's so cool. It rules. It's so much better than playing Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's been a kind of detractor the whole time. And like mm-hmm. we we both were that when we played uh, Anthem. And we both shed it pretty quickly when like my mom and grandma were like, this game's so pretty. And we were Ben and I were both like, oh, shit. We might be jaded assholes because they could not stop gushing about how much they loved it. And we were like, oh, it doesn't have enough endgame content. And I just felt like a piece of shit. (laughs) So we're playing through last week. Um, We finish like the first. uh, I can't remember what they're called, like basically no longer under bosses. The first boss fight happens. And at this point, we've done everything in the area that you're in, which again, or not even again, but. Importantly, we did not know was the area you were in, mm. right? So we're like mowing over everything. And I was like, we've done everything here. I bet they didn't plan on people to do everything. So like we're over, we're over leveled. I get that. That's fine. But like he was like, well, everything dies in one hit. And I was like, calm down. But we were walking around and my mom and grandma was like, do you think this is going to open up to a bigger area? And my uncle was like, I don't think it is. 
And I was like, I can't see why I wouldn't. And sure enough, dude, we take out that boss and it dumps us into an area that's like three times bigger and has like three times the enemy factions in it. And I immediately was like, this is weird. Fucking no one's talking about this. And you get an achievement when you beat that boss and like clear the area and move into the next one. That achievement was a rare achievement. Only 4% of players got past the tutorial area. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Like, I just got goosebumps when I said it out loud. That's fucking bananas to me. Because that means everyone that's talking trash about this game didn't leave the tutorial area. Damn. Which, like, is going to have lower enemy counts, is going to have easier to kill enemies and bosses, and is going to be generally slower. Yeah, of course the starting area isn't indicative of the overall gameplay. Yeah, but only 4% of people have gotten where we got. Yeah. Which, like... How many people played this for like five hours and went, oh, this is dumb because the tutorial area was a little longer than normal. And like, don't get me wrong. Tutorialization is a difficult art that's hard to do well. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the, you know, Zelda school of thought. That's like, don't over tutorialize. Let them figure it out. Uh, don't, un- don't assume for your audience that they're not as smart as they are. And then you've got the survival game <laughs> school of thought that's like, what's a tutorial? Yeah, you um, don't get a tutorial. What the Good fuck? Luck. No, you've got a rock and there's a dinosaur running at you. Have fun. You're naked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got like the far other side where it's like, okay, like I get it. Skip, skip some of these things. But like, like tutorial zones are uh, and even an expansion of that idea. And like, how do you nail those without? Like you, like we've both said, uh, but you brought up first, like if you say something's not for me, it is for somebody, mm-hmm. right? And so like, yeah, you may not have needed the tutorial to be that long. I didn't, I, but I've been playing first person shooters and arcane games for 20 years and 10 years respectively. So like, I get it, but like, this is an arcane game that isn't like arcane games. So new people are trying them. My, my mom and grandma we're just having a fucking blast the whole time. And then like found out we have a new zone with more stuff to do. And they were even more excited. So like, yeah, the tutorial zone didn't work for you. That doesn't mean the game's trash. And also hold on. You didn't beat the first boss. You can't, you can't say this game is garbage. You didn't play it enough. You didn't, didn't give it a fair shake. No, I appreciate the, the, you brought up Anthem. So I played all of Anthem. Start to finish. Made it all the way through. Part of the reason is because I have friends who worked on that game. And I was like, friends, I will support you and the work you've done. Please tell me about the cool things that you put in here so that I can go find them and appreciate them and yell about all of the work that you did. Hell yeah. It is not in any of my top game lists. No. But I still found fun in there. And I think for me... Possibly this is because of my game dev brain, especially whenever I, I feel myself bouncing off of the game or like sure. the core gameplay loop is just not working for me. That's when I start looking at all of the other things that I can tweak, whether that is difficulty, whether that is, can I 
change the way that the HUD is displayed to make it sure. more or less difficult? Or can I play a first-person shooter without ever firing a single bullet? And in Anthem, you can do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I forget what the name of the model was, but there's basically one of the robot suits that's essentially the Flash with knives. Yeah, so the, I was ninjas, like, cool. the ninja suit. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a speedster, and I'm not going to shoot anything. I am just going to run around and be faster and nickel and dime DPS everything. Yeah. That made the gameplay vastly more fun. And playing with every single one of the suits in that way unlocked a completely different level of yeah. appreciation that I had for some of the systems that I think I otherwise sure. wouldn't have had if I hadn't challenged myself to find something to appreciate there. And I think yeah. I do that one with every game that I play, but especially with anything that I feel like I'm starting to hit that, mm, it's been five hours, I don't know. Let me see if I can get one more hour in and, and start yeah. messing around, making my own rules. Yeah, like do a little bit of work as a player to go, maybe I'm addressing this wrong. Like mm -hmm. that's 100% something that like, I guarantee maybe only 30% of players do. Yeah. Um, Man, what game was it that I did that and like saved the entire experience? It might have been Dishonored. It was it was mm -hmm. definitely Dishonored. Cuz I played that like I've played stealth I'm outside of sci-fi as a genre. Stealth is like my second favorite. And I know I'm I'm branching like genres of fiction and genres of gameplay, but whatever. Like sci-fi shit always going to be my favorite. Um stealth stuff is <sighs> love it. But, like, I've played Assassin's Creed and Splinter Cell and Siphon Filter back in the fucking day. Um, so stealth was always, like, go through, kill everybody, and then walk around and do what you want, because they're all dead. And I did that for the beginning of Dishonored, and, like, not to, like, sound like I'm trying to toot my own horn, but, like, I got really good at the killing and was like, well, this isn't as fun. And I watched somebody, like, talk about getting through an area without basically as a ghost not being seen not being heard not killing anybody and i was like oh fuck okay so i started the game over and i played that game <laughs> famously among my friends a completely pacifist route did not get the achievement because i did knock a guard out and because i knocked him out in a bad place and was getting approached by another guard placed him on top of a bookshelf and he slipped off the bookshelf and died. Oh, no. <laughs> like, he fell, and I was like, oh. Just land on his neck exactly at the wrong Yeah, angle. he fell, and I was like, oh. And I went to pick him up, and there's a little pool of blood on the floor. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I think he died. Didn't get <laughs> the didn't get the pacifist. Sort of no, because Dishonored wouldn't let you do that. If you would oh. kill somebody and then, like, reload, when you got to the end and got the final tally of what you did that mission, it would still have that kill. Oh, shit. Yeah, so a pacifist run was never fucking up. I fucked up one time. <laughs> I was so mad. But since then, uh, like all the Deus Ex games I played as a pacifist um, because I was like, oh, I don't have to. Also, maybe not for every game, but in most of them, if you think about what you're doing, most of the people you're killing do not deserve it. Yeah. And I, you could argue, of course, that no one deserves it. Um <laughs> have a hard time justifying that playing Diablo maybe but like uh the first time I my grandma watched me play the first day Deus, Deus Ex I was like doing a mission in Detroit and where you're like sneaking into a gang hideout and I was like well they're all in a gang so they probably deserve it <laughs> that thought now 10 years later or however long it sucks <laughs> take a step back and go hmm I've learned and grown as a person <laughs> yep then. I'm Thank better goodness. now
<laughs> yeah, like if you think about it for like the least like a minute, mm-hmm. be like, do all these people deserve to die? You'll pro- you'll probably be like, no. So no. two things. One, I one of my least favorite normalized game mechanics is killing as a core gameplay loop. Sure. I think it's lazy, and I love it whenever games find a way to justify themselves around it, like Monster Hunter. Sure. You can trap things instead of killing them unless it's a specific sort of high-level boss monster. Sure. Which, okay, but for the vast majority, <laughs> you can trap them instead of killing, and it gets you better rewards, which, like, yeah. okay, cool. Gamify it. But two, one of my all-time favorite games is Metal Gear Solid 3. I love the Metal Gear series overall. Oh, so you lost your shit when that got announced. <sighs> I had no fewer than five people message me within minutes. Like, did you see? Yes, I saw. Yes, I saw. My jaw is still on the floor. Thank you. The instant that I can block in that time on my work calendar, everybody knows (laughs) I'm taking time off. (laughs) I have played that game so many times. There are specifically the first level and a couple of other levels that I can play through blindfolded because I've played it. Amazing. So fucking many times. Amazing. But I think to your point specifically about thinking about your actions and doing pacifist playthroughs, one, that game actually incorporates that into its mechanics. There is an entire boss fight. I don't know if you've played Metal Gear Solid 3 or not. No, but I think it's enough of a touchstone that I know a lot about it, so I might yeah. know what you're about to bring up. <laughs> so <laughs> I love the Sorrow boss fight because it basically is a parade of reminding you of all the murder you done did to get up <laughs> until that point and actively engaging the player, whether or not the player actually unpacks and thinks about it while playing i don't know if it's true for other people but i certainly did where it's like hey you killed all of these people you're gonna need to sit with that and now you have to navigate this boss fight around all of that carnage that you have caused yeah good luck with that buddy and metal gear fucks with your brain so much and i love it i love it Metal Gear's it, like, oh yeah, fucking put it in, put, put the controller in the player two slot, asshole. <laughs> it's so great. I see you like Castlevania. Oh, the worst. What, how uh, do you know that? Yeah. Leave I... me alone, Psycho. <laughs> yeah, Psycho Mantis. Ugh. Yeah. There, yeah. There's so much good shit there, and I think that game was the very first time that I remember genuinely, meaningfully thinking about my meta actions as the player not just within the gameplay but within the world of the game itself and the fact that you know the game gives you options where it's like do you want to use the lethal bullets or do you want to use tranquil tranquilizers Mm -hmm. because if you do that here's what that outcome can look like and it also has the absolutely hilarious my favorite way to play Metal Gear is yes to be completely stealthy. Nobody sees me. I sure. I am a spectral ginger moving through my cardboard <laughs> box. Is or... that your gamer tag? Spectral no. ginger? Because it should be. <laughs> it might be after this. Um, but the AI, especially in 3, was just good enough that you could fuck with it a little bit. So say, for instance, you tranquilize a guard, drag his body close to the path of another one. The other guard notices, goes over, wakes him up, and just after he delivers that kick, you tranquilize that other guy, so he's passing out just as the other one's waking up. (laughs) And you manage to time that as there's a third guy coming around the corner. Like, I think that was (laughs) the first time that I consciously tried to see just how far I could push the limits of an in-game AI. 
Sure. And to its credit, it's a really good system. And I'm very <laughs> curious to see how that's going to translate in whatever new version yeah. they do in Metal Gear Solid Delta. But yeah, 100%. It, it again is is something that I appreciated about that game in that it made you, as the player, actively choose how you are engaging instead of going, well, here's your railroad. Go forth, Nathan Drake. Hope you don't die. Here's oh. some chest high walls, buddy. And not, not oh, to knock on the No, knock I on love Uncharted, that you brought that up. But though. it is one of the most frustrating things. And I will never forget the first time that somebody's like, is that room full of chest high walls? I wonder what's going to happen in there. <laughs> Especially when you're like, Gears of War did this really, 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 really <laughs> badly. Um, the fifth, fourth or fifth game, I don't remember. You're like walking around an area and haven't gotten into combat yet. And then like, there's a place you're supposed to drop down. And mm-hmm. standing above it, I was like, <laughs> about to fight. <laughs> uh-huh. my, and my grandma, who's playing with us, was like, what? And I was like, look at the ground. And she was like, what? And now when we play games, she's like, oh, there's a bunch of cover here. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, you understand. <laughs> um, so it was, I love all of that, uh, especially the, like, finding games that, like, change the verbs from kill to other things. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even removing completely, but. Um, so, like, that started for me, uh, and I don't know when that, when that first, you know, appealed to you as a, as a player or as a designer, um, either way, that has started to appeal to me the first time I read Clint Hawking, who uh, was the creative director for Far Cry 2, hmm. um, which is an incredible game full of systems that will like make you pay for your mistakes. Like, oh yeah, you just like set a fire in the wilderness. Watch as all the fucking animals die because you set a brush fire in a dry fucking place. Um insane shit but he's the one that coined unless he just popularized it i'm pretty sure he's the one that coined ludo narrative dissonance mm. specifically talking about nathan drake and like this puckish rogue everyone's supposed to love and by the end of the game he's killed 400 people mm-hmm. how do you reckon with that and like i also like the fun meta response that naughty dog had in making the Last of Us, where every person you kill, there's like a 13-year-old girl behind you going, fuck, dude. And you're like, mm-hmm. oops, shit. The first time she did that, I was like, I just cut a guy's throat on a freezer door uh, in front of a child. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> um, and then like people in the second game, they were like, you character assassinated. When she was 13, she watched a guy murder everybody. <laughs> of course, she's going to come out a little bit broken. But... I like the, the, the introduction of Ludo narrative dissonance and the response, the call and response you get from, from Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog, I'm from New York now. Um, <laughs> but the thing that made me think about it the most, and I constantly like go back and read this piece. I have it bookmarked. There's a piece by Austin Walker. Yes. Um, I was hoping it would bring up. Oh, dude. Dude. So like, I just got goosebumps. I've never met the dude. That's weird. Um, but, I haven't like, either. When when Waypoint started, it was, what, 2016? Which is a hell of a fucking time to start. I think a it was very... the same year that I started at 343. So, yeah, I want to say sure. 2016. Hell of a fucking year to start a very leftist game blog in New York. <laughs> like, during Trump's election cycle and all that fucking wild shit. 
Um, but like, I find out it's happening and it's got Austin Walker attached to it. And I'm like, well, I should learn about this guy. Um, 2016, I graduated college and I was like trying to figure out what the fuck writing on my own looked like because I'd done writing for some some online publications in college and, and uh, in between semesters and it was fine. But like, I kind of always lost the rhythm of like, put a news piece out every day. Like, that's not why I write. Um, and so I came across a paste article. Um, maybe it was paste. I think it was paste. An article he wrote about um, specifically watchdogs and shadow of Mordor. Mordor, yeah. Um, about like how he only killed three people in watchdogs. And I know what each one was. And there's a moment in that piece where he talks about he's in like South Chicago, which is like a not perfect representation architecturally of what South Chicago looks like. But like he hears, you know, the game had those instances of like random generated crimes that you could interact with and like go get the bad guy or whatever. But he points out that so very few of those things, are you able to stop them before they do something? And so, like, you heard a cry. He heard a cry, came around the corner, and there's a black kid, teenager, on the ground, dead. And the way he talked about, like, the way that the woman standing next to him cried as if it was her son, and that, like, he did the little ID on the guy running away, and, like, he was just going to, like, let the cops deal with it or whatever and started chasing him, but then started chasing him with his little nightstick out. And then when he found out that, like, the, the that he, like, failed background checks and he had just shot a kid and how that made him take it personally. And he's like, I, sh I he's like, I shot him three times. Like, and also just so that in itself is incredible, right? But the way that he then, like, broke down, like, I wish I could have gone back and hit a button to say something yeah. to this grieving person. I wish I could have gotten there before it happened to stop it from happening. I wish the game had given me different ways to interact with this other than violence or letting violence happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then, you know, outside of just the watchdogs examples, he talks about like the morality of possessing orcs and uruk in the in the lord of the rings universe and like making them do your bidding and how he found one like standing on the edge of a cliff just wishing he could fucking die but he kept being brought back alive and i was just like i'm not gonna kill anybody in a game again and like you know that's obviously i overreacted because i've played games where i still shoot things but in that moment i was like i'm not gonna think about these the same um, anymore. And the first piece I pitched to Vice, which they didn't accept, that's fine. And probably the first piece where I started to build the voice that I have now, um, sorry, I've been rambling for a minute, but uh, I wrote about Ghost Recon Wildlands, which is a game I loved to death. And I love Blacklist as well. Uh, not Blacklist. Breakpoint. I love both of those games. Um, but in Wildlands, you're in Bolivia, a Mexican cartel is coming and taking over because Bolivia has like a, a huge amount of like coca plants to make cocaine, like yada, yada, bunch of stuff that makes sense. And then like American military. Uh, cool. All right. Like I get this story. I've played this story. So I'm going through though. And like, 
I'm playing these guys from a Western country, armed to the teeth, and like I'm killing people stealthily, which is the big thing, right? Like stealthily. I'm doing it. They never know I'm there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the I'm the Grim Reaper. I'm the the scythe of death. Like I'm just I'm it's great. In one instance specifically, I was playing with three other friends, so there were four of us, and we were getting ready to like tandem take out like ten guys, which is something we got very good at. And somebody got seen, spooked, and shot the guy with the three bars over his head, which said he was in charge. And because he'd seen us, he alarmed, he alerted everybody else. But when he dropped, because our guy tried to like save his cover real quick and dropped that guy, when he dropped, everyone else fucking surrendered. They dropped their guns because the guy in charge was dead. Hmm. And I was like, y'all, I got to go to bed. And I like I signed off and I sat there for at my desk for like an hour and just tumbled through my brain the like, okay, I'm in Bolivia. Mexican cartel has come here for their things. I shot a guy in charge, ostensibly, of this small detachment of this Mexican cartel, and everyone surrendered. And then I was like, cartels don't have armies, but they'd have one here. And then I was like, oh. Cartel power structure is we're new in town. You have to pay us to keep you safe. If not, we'll fuck with you. And like how many people had I killed in that game that were working for the cartel, but were from Bolivia and did not have a choice because people with guns came to their farm where mom and dad live or grandma and grandpa live. And they had to join this cartel to keep them safe. How many of them had I just killed in silence? And the moment I realized if I kill the guy in charge, they're like, no, I didn't want to do this anyway. I was like, I can't kill these guys anymore. Like it changed the way I approached that game completely. And I tried to do everything quietly or non-lethally. And I remember being like laughed at by friends for like, you're taking it too seriously, man. But like, it changed the way I thought about things. Yeah. Like that game entirely. It was designed to work that way for a reason. I, I would hope that there was some of the deliberate consideration, like everything you just described there. There may or may not have been, I don't know, but I don't ever think it's a bad thing to look at a game and let that ludonarrative through line impact the things that you are doing and the way that you are playing it. I think one of the, the greatest strengths that I love about games is that it's an interactive narrative. You yeah. are bringing something to it. And it, sure. can be, it can be really frustrating whenever the gameplay is essentially on rails and maybe you're moving the camera or hitting a button in a quick time event. Those are still completely valid, but to me, I really appreciate it when the game gives me a choice to play in a way that is more affirming for what it is that I want to get out of it. And sure. especially, especially whenever the game's own actual full narrative is embracing that. And it's sure. really, really difficult to do because that means that instead of having one cogent through line start to finish, you now have you to start have thinking of different branches. Yeah. Branches are exponentially more difficult. Yeah, it makes it so much yeah. more frustrating I, on so I want to rewind to and just have a moment of appreciation for all of the work that Waypoint did because yeah. Waypoint and Vice have ceased to be in the way that they were sure. i think they they were just recording one of the last podcasts if not the last podcast in the last week mm -hmm. and when i saw the news that waypoint was 
being dissolved, it, it hit like a gut punch because it's been yeah. one of the consistently reliable sources, really good, intelligent input conversation and games journalism that I really appreciated because they, every single person who contributed to the work every single fucking point put in so much thought and consideration. And I felt very much like I was getting to see perspectives that aren't usually the sort of thing that gets propagated and proliferated throughout the games industry, which it's, it's super great to have review sites that are giving a reading and X, Y, Z thing. And I always definitely need to know if I can pet the dog, but it is also invaluable to me for people that take that deep dive into those moments of watchdogs or into those moments of shadow of Mordor or any other game and go, hold on. This might've been an inconsequential moment to some people, but this completely changed the fundamental way in which I experienced this game and every other game after that. That's fucking incredible. And I love that. There's, there's something I think for me that I love about media in general and why I think for me, I also have engaged in fandom my entire life. Like fandom is my lifeblood. It has gotten me through so many things. And that is the fact that the media and the way that we interpret it, the way that we interact with it helps us interpret and interact with the real world. I don't have to have something terrible happen to me because I've read and experienced so many stories that I can empathize with those events and go, wow, yes, if somebody has gone through that, I hope that I could be as effective in helping support other people. If there is a major disaster, well, (laughs) Marine Corps kind of changed this a little bit for me, but (laughs) I don't have to live through somebody else's worst day moment for moment in order to relate to them on a human level and exercise some empathy. And I think games, along with every other media type of game specifically, again, because of that interactive narrative component, allow you to kind of sit down in somebody else's space and really experience that world from different perspectives in a way that I wish everybody could take the time to really unpack, especially when it's uncomfortable, because sure. that means that you're growing. Sure. Yeah. 100%. And like the fact that games have the possible, the possibility, the, the capability to allow that in any way, right. To be like, well, here's this thing that was written by one or several people or a whole team of people, um, like Mass Effect. Like, there's a couple of leads, right? But there's definitely dozens of people that are writing little bits that you'll hear in passing when you're in the Citadel or whatever. But the way that they allow you to, like, own what you've brought to it as a valuable piece of the story as opposed to, like, an inconvenient concession... Mm-hmm. fucking rules um and like yeah like not even broadly specifically waypoint uh and that entire crew of people that you know came and went as you know time and and jobs dictate all of those people all the stuff they made like changed the way that i write i don't think about the same things when i'm playing a game uh i don't play the same way just because like they existed to be like, yeah, but like, what if you looked at it this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just incredible. Uh, also, I don't know if you know, but they did, they 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 did do something. They survived in a way. Um, in a so, way. Yeah, Waypoint's gone. Yeah. But they like launched their own mm-hmm. separate show show. for yeah for people who don't know. Like, if you like saw that they were going away and you were like, I'll have to catch up on those. 
well, hurry, because they're going to keep making stuff as remap. And, like, <laughs> I was on the stream when they transitioned it to the new, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? And, like, I had bought <laughs> Waypoint mugs to, like, commemorate the Aww. the end of it. And then, like, I see this new thing pop up, and I was like, oh, my God. I told my wife later, who, like, I love her to death. She's not nearly as invested in games as I am. But I told her, and was like, I got emotional. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And then I explained who it was, and she was like, oh, yeah, 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 the people that published that thing. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, that's great. But, like, I'm sitting there, like, crying on a fucking Friday on a Twitch stream. Like, they're they're going to keep doing it. Stupid. Um, Not stupid at all. But, I, no, <laughs> sure. I'm right there with you. I wasn't able to catch it live, but it's it was like a sigh of relief to not have to have that fear for people that I don't really know, but that I care about on a human level and appreciate the contributions yeah. that they have made in sharing their perspectives and just hope that whatever else they do, I hope that they keep putting it out and knowing that they will is yeah. just oh, good. Oh man. Good. It's, like a, it's like a, it's like a medicine work. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know, you know, what game journalism is going to look like over the next fuck five years let alone 10 it's so different uh especially with the loss of in-person events like e3 man <laughs> yeah rest in pieces i've never been i i don't know that i ever would want to go because a lot of the things that i've heard about e3 made me go hmm probably best that i don't go be there in space yeah. with people that do such despicable things because yeah. i'd make it out fine they wouldn't but <laughs> actually can we get you to go to the next one and i'll I'll just yeah. run i'll just be the the bag guy i can pick sure, people up in sure. bags later <laughs> be a getaway driver yeah uh, yes perfect there there's fortunately far less of it in the industry, but boy, howdy, there are some folks that I'm like, mm. I would love five minutes in a conversation with you just to <laughs> see where your head's at and make sure it's screwed on the right way. Yeah. If not, I will fix it. Uh -huh. <laughs> give it one little jerk and it'll be fine. I, you know, I, I got good at it with my Marines. I can do it with civilians too. Hell yeah. Probably better. <laughs> yeah. Let's not, not wish that, but yes. No, I, I never want it to be necessary. I've had a few encounters with some other people throughout the games industry and in my time making games that, you know, whenever you can tell a conversation's starting to take a turn and you're just like, Ugh. hold on, hold on. Ugh, Let's yeah, back I up do. and double check. I can't not acknowledge that and people aren't used to it in those conversations. Sure. So being confronted with that and me being perfectly comfortably capable of going, no, no. We're going to deal with this right here and now in this room full of 20 other people because that's where you started it. Yeah, good job, dude. If you didn't want to do this here, you shouldn't have done it here. My bad. Don't start none, won't be none. Exactly. So could, You could just not, but you did. Yeah. So if it isn't the consequences of your actions. Mm -hmm. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> Hate it when they come and knock in. But to get back to your original point, I think the future of games journalism, one, is going to be informed by whatever events it is that the industry decides here is how we are announcing things. But I, for me, my biggest and greatest wish and hope is that more game developers just start being more transparent as much as they can yeah. be. Obviously, you can't share every step of what the process looks like. Obviously, not everybody can do a full Double Fine Productions Vidoc. Oh, uh, I'm curious dude. to see what the Marathon video documentary is going to entail. Can't wait. But I, I think... <laughs> 
there there's been some really cool precedent set with the way that things are now being released on Steam and having things be in early access or even on different platforms where there's just open betas where there's more transparency across the board and it allows yeah. people to get invested early and I think fosters a little bit more of that understanding that hey this is a work in progress not mm -hmm. everything is going to look perfect and be flawless yeah. but you're never going to be able to get as many QA testers doing a thing as you are the day that a game is released. Never, never. And man, QA testers, one, are not paid well enough, and two, are the backbone and beating heart of why any game is ever playable outside of whatever machine it is locally built on. The sure. fact that any game is ever released and is playable by anybody is a fucking Dude, miracle. I had you a... pop the hood on any of them. They are held together by duct tape, bubblegum, dreams, and probably a few tears. Yeah, yeah, and some, like, wishes that, like, uh -huh. weren't even cast into the well the right way. But you know what? Definitely They're holding. some blood magic. Like... <laughs> there, I had a... I interviewed... The first, like, when I first started doing this show as, like, an interview show, one of the first people I had on, which is a huge stroke of luck, was Rami Ismail. And, like... Oh, right on. Rami fucking rules. Uh, that conversation was incredible. But just specifically to your point, there was one moment where he shared this anecdote, and he was extremely graceful and didn't, like, give away the name of any of the studios that he shared similar stories for, because, like, I could imagine they're probably like, don't tell nobody. But he shared this anecdote of like a game where you're in a helicopter and the helicopter crashes and you come to and you start playing the game, which could be <laughs> fucking any shooter, military shooter in the last 20 years. But when you took control of the character, everything in the world from cutscene to action, everything in the world came up off the ground 17 centimeters. And I was like, that sucks. And he was like, it murdered the game because you would start to play and physics would render all those things falling. And so like the game had to figure that out. But then the sound engine had to mm -hmm. generate all those sounds. I've so he was like such cursed sounds. He was like, how do process? you think it oh it's so bad, dude? <laughs> those sounds are so bad. How do you how do you think they fixed it? I can think of any number of ways that they might have fixed it. Sure. So my suggestion Wait, was like, did they pick they the world unreal? up? Oh, I don't know. I didn't ask that question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my suggestion was like, they picked the world up 17 centimeters. And he was like, I never thought of that. But I'm sure they did. And that is not what they did. Mm -mm. What they ended up doing is when the helicopter crashes, <laughs> the game fades to black. Yeah. And that's, you get you get the solution. sound of tinnitus, because what yeah. they did is they stuck the tinnitus sound, the shell shock sound, on a different engine than the sound engine, mm -hmm. and they set the, the the screen black so that the game could just die twice. So every <laughs> single time the game plays that opening, the helicopter crashes, the screen goes to black. It runs the permutation of everything dropping and dying and all the sound playing, but it's muted. And then this sound that's playing off of a different part of the engine finishes playing. The, the screen fades in and it restarts a new instance where everything's right. And everything's fine. So yeah. like <laughs> the fact that we get to play Zaro and I say the fact that we get to play fucking anything mm -hmm. is a miracle. 
Listen, I was in various different versions of the Halo game, day in, day out, on various different platforms. I had to have a classic Xbox dev kit, an Xbox 360 dev kit. Basically, every single Halo game that was released, I had to be able to go into the console and access the back end in order to pull assets or take screenshots or get references that you can't just get at from playing a game. But none of them were as flavorful with the daily buggy spice as everything that was in motion for either Halo 5 Guardians or Infinite. And there would be days that I would open something and I'd just look over at any of my coworkers and be like, look at this, and just let them (laughs) see the state of things. Because I hadn't changed anything, but sometimes the origin had moved. So I would populate in a scene that had been saved the day before because I was doing reference renders of like Master Chief and a Warthog. And suddenly the Warthog is 15 times the size that it should have been. (laughs) And Master Chief is over there. So he's launching into the sun and the Warthog is plummeting to the ground. And (laughs) And it's "Mm -hmm." a big boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Day that ends in Y. (laughs) So I... Genuinely, it is one of my favorite parts about game development because shit breaks all the time and you got to take it in stride. And I I love whenever it's like, okay, well, this broke. We don't know why. What solutions can we figure out? (laughs) Similar to the anecdote that you shared, I, I think one of my other favorite anecdotes is about developing things in VR because motion sickness. Sure. That that sucks, and a lot of people get it. <laughs> Turns so, out, no one likes it. Yeah, there's. Imagine, imagine the motion of you're, you're making a VR game, and this is, I'm gonna keep it vague. There's a VR game, and you have to drive a car. And sometimes that goes fast. Yeah. But step one is actually choosing your car and then sitting down into it. And in this okay. early version of the game, if you think about the mo- the movements that you do as a person when you sit down and get into a car, <laughs> yep. all of the weird swimming shit that your head does and the strange spaces that your body temporarily occupies, yeah, that motion was making players so motion sick that they very similarly were like, actually, what if you just open the door and then suddenly you're in the car? Very similar, like, it's there's not a fade to black, it's just a jump cut. You open door, you are in car. There's sure. no transition. Nobody noticed it in future playtests. Nobody noticed Amazing. the fact that there wasn't actually the animation or experience of getting into the car. Partially, I think, because that's not what you're focused on, right? Yeah. But also yeah. because it happens so fast and it's so normalized in games and media to have those types of jump cuts or the fade to black or whatever it is, yeah. that sometimes actually solving the problem isn't the best solution. You just let that problem do stay it. there because if you try <laughs> to fix it, you might fuck something else up. Yep. And you're like, all right, so what if we just do this thing <laughs> instead? And I, I say all of this to get back to Halo. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Halo was inherited from Bungie. And Bungie, like every other game studio, definitely had those things where they're like, this is broken. Uh, what do we do to fix it? What if we just divert over here? Cool. So that's the baseline yep. of how Halo was inherited and everything was just built on top of that consecutively. Yeah. And I think I, I say this with the absolute most love in my heart. <laughs> it is, I think to every game's great benefit, anytime there's one of those slapdash solutions, 
as long as people document it. Sure. And it gets back to my <laughs> point that I just wish that people would share more. Yeah. Because there's so many different things in every single game that has that type of a flavor to it, where it's like it's yeah. a miracle that works. Let me Don't pop the it. hood and show you how it runs. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, like uh, Rami mentioned that, like, you noticed that in Battlefield, doors have worked the same way for, like, seven years. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, it's because they figured it out in 2013 and basically said, no one fucking touch it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if it works now, it's fine. But also that, like, there's an engine. It might even be bad. I don't know if this was from him or from somebody, because I do know, I'm pretty sure that it was Battlefield. Like, Dice 2? Or not Dice, sorry. Frostbite 2? Mm-hmm. Um, had for Battlefield specifically had like a line of code that was just like a word in like the beginning of one of the segments and like someone was like what is this here for and people were like no one knows and it was just a word it wasn't a command it wasn't like an actual line of code it's just a word and they were like well I'm gonna delete it and they deleted it and it fucking broke everything mm-hmm. so they had to go back <laughs> And like load a previous state where it was there and like dump three days of work or whatever the amount of time was. And like, no one can touch that. There's just a word in the fucking code that like exists and they deleted it. And despite the fact that it is not in any way a command script for anything, it fucking broke everything. So like, just leave it, (laughs) just don't touch it. So like, there's a game that we've played that's just got like a sentence that someone wrote while they were like in the middle of a phone call with their mom while writing code. And they're like, I'm going to put this here so I don't forget. And then they forgot. And so like someone's tuna melt recipe is <laughs> in a game somewhere, <laughs> um, whatever the fuck it is. And that's just incredible to me. It's just like weird, silly, dumb shit. Well, I also have to wonder sometimes because thinking back to the, the early, early day, days of making games when, you know, there weren't credit rolls and a lot of like old classic Atari games, they basically hid their name in the game somehow, whether it was sure. in the code or through some secret way to access it so that you could actually see the credits as basically a one gentle, but not so gentle fuck you to, sure. to whatever company sure. it was, but also so that they could always have their piece and part of it. And it always makes me wonder to me with stuff like that, if that code was removed, was that also somebody's failsafe to go, you can't do this without me. How dare you try to remove me from it? <laughs> sure. And rightfully so, right? Yeah, I, sure. There's, there's no shortage of issue happening outside of games right now with the way that people are credited, but it is something that is so incredibly vital that I, I wish it were easier to account for, similar to Spider-Verse, again, that it's incalculable how many people are actually involved in every yeah. single pixel and every single polygon that finally makes it into a game. And you can't really point out a single person as being like, yes, they made exactly this blade of grass here yeah. on this yeah. part of the map. That's not how it works. But I do wish that there were more ways for the entire dev team to see themselves reflected. However, yeah. not quite so destructively potentially as yes. You know, yes. having that no, life go. <laughs> I've always found it weird that like there's, there's humans have a, I guess a propensity to push towards believing in the like auteur that like makes a thing by themselves. That's not real. Um, Mm -mm. Like, don't get me wrong. Eric Barone made a fuck ton of Stardew on his own, if not all of the initial code base. Right. And then like 
added people later to help finish it up. Whatever the case that is, yes, Eric made a shit ton of that game on his own. But like recently, I saw someone talking about like Starfield Direct, and we get to we're gonna listen to Todd Howard talk about his new game, and I'm like, mm, mm, not his, his new game, <laughs> super not his new game. Todd Howard and Bethany Esda present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've always I been like kind of rankle anytime just somebody bristle like, like, oh yeah. yes, I I love the games that have Hideo Kojima's name on them. He did not make them on his own. <laughs> oh no. Not at all. That Are they man. very weird because he decided he wanted to add whales that are on fire flying through the sky? Yeah, maybe. But good like for him. Good but for like him. And but like despite every the other fact... member of the team that heard his idea and went, and then... I'm gonna make you the coolest flying flaming exactly. whale you've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he said that in a room and people went, You got it, boss, and then mm-hmm. pulled it the fuck off. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've always bristled at like Hideo Kojima's new game. What that? What did? What name did I just say? Hideo Kojima's new game. And I'm like, but is it um, mm-hmm. Todd Howard's Starfield? No. Um, and like, I also know that that's probably in many cases the the result of just like people saying the most recognizable name attached to it, which like you can't fault them for that, but also yeah. like what it does end up doing is leading to this like auteur belief, this cult of personality. Like, yeah, this guy made this. No, like thousands of folks made this um, mm-hmm. over a long enough time that some people who were there in the beginning probably won't make it into the credits. And that's mm-hmm. fucking stupid. Um, I mean, even yeah. with the work that I do with Dual Wield Studio, that's something that we're having an active conversation about right now because the licensing industry compared to the rest of the media industry is absolute dog shit garbage <laughs> credit it, the hat that you're wearing do you have any idea who designed it who designed the logo oh god that's not going to tell you that don't and do this to me <laughs> for pretty much no 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 it's not to call you out but it's to make the point that i think any person if you look around the space look at the t-shirt that you've got on the merch that is around sure. you very few of the manufactured artifacts around us actually include credit for the people who made them. I'm they don't include from the artist fucking... name. They don't include the designer. Nothing. Nothing. Very, very few of them do. And that is something that we actively try to do and make sure that everything, at the very sure. least, has the artist credited. And we're figuring out, okay, well, how do we want to do our team listings for every single item? Because... We've got an About Us page that includes the entire team at Dual Wield and everybody works on everything. But how do we want to credit folks that are like the project producer who may not be doing art, but are shepherding the process from start to finish? How about our folks that essentially work on the back end of the website who are integral to making sure that we can have an online sales storefront? They may not necessarily develop a product themselves, but we could never launch or sell anything without them. Every single person is integral in the process. But I'm not about to put a CVS receipt of a tag <laughs> on a plush, you know? So we've got to figure out some alternative way to do it. Yeah. And that's something that we're trying to figure out and set a precedent for with the work that we do. Sure. But it also, I think, just across the board with anything that is consumerism related just shows how devalued human labor tends to be. And it sure. makes me actively seek it out whenever I do find something in the wild. And I'm like, who designed this? Like, yeah, 100%. I want to find out 
this is my latest who designed this there's this series of little transformer style toys that were made for um, uh, hasbro dungeons and dragons and this is a little dragon that folds up into a d20 and That's incredible. Lots and lots of Dungeons and Dragons creatures. I think the series is called Dicelings. And I'm short of becoming a stalker on the internet. Want to find out who the designers were on these? Yeah. Because they're so fucking cool. And the product itself doesn't tell me. The website doesn't tell me. I have to go sleuthing. Yeah. Lame. Lame. I'm now. I'm now. I'm waiting for the day that I'm watching like a game's credits, and I see like, just like. There may be names that are already somewhere else, like with their perspective teams. But now I want to see a little sub uh, credit that's like <laughs> uh, fart bug team, because like there's some story that there was something that made a sound that sounded like a fart and they couldn't figure out what else to call it. So they called it fart bug. And <laughs> this team of 10 people didn't have anything else to do for that two weeks. So they got tasked on the fart bug team. And like the producer that was making sure they all weren't doing other things, but were actually trying to figure out why this one thing kept making that one sound. And the, the 10 people that worked on it are credited as the fart bug team. I just need that stuff. <laughs> I need little things like that. that are like, yeah, this is a fallout game. It was broken as fuck until right before it came out. Mm-hmm. Let's like, just have a big chunk of the credits dedicated to like the people that thought they were done but had some experience in the thing they needed help with and was like, I mean, I don't have anything to do. And they got shoehorned into that. Like just, I don't understand the big hangup of being like, yeah, you fucking, you made this. And I'm sure that like, there's probably somebody that's listening to this going, well, logistically credits <laughs> determine how much you make on ro- whatever. Very few people that I've ever spoken to know of, uh, many people Man. or themselves if have ever made royalties. started trying to sell royalties? <sighs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's not the issue. No. So just put fucking names in it. Like, there's a... Tim there's, Tim Schaefer has a his name in something because he was sitting <laughs> next to the people while they made yeah. it. And, and he, he was like, what do you... Game. And yeah, Tim, Tim Schaefer credited <laughs> for not trying to sabotage the game. Like, fucking... Uh-huh. It doesn't matter what you put in there. Put everyone who's been a part of it in there. Like, what the fuck are we actually doing? Well, I think that also surfaces that there are still so many people that get very elitist, and specifically folks that are not game devs, about who qualifies as a game dev. Oh, people that are like, you're a fucking artist. That's not a game dev. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, nerd. The the admin assistant isn't a game dev. The game could not happen if that admin assistant were not some tier of yeah. demigod. You would yeah. be silent and please learn a thing. It's very frustrating <laughs> and very gatekeepery, and I think yeah. diminishes a whole lot of the work that, again, folks that aren't devs, I, I hope that they can someday broaden their horizons to learn to appreciate the sheer amount of work that goes into making it so that, you know, hey... That artist has to make this concept, and in order to let that artist have time to do art, this producer has to herd these cats to insulate the artist and make sure that they know when these deadlines are. And in order to hit these deadlines, this admin assistant coordinates this morale day, and all of it stacks together. Every single person who is working as part of that is integral. All of them are game devs. And if somebody doesn't think so, I invite them to spend a day, even half a day, in that person's shoes and yeah. dare to say otherwise so much game criticism and i don't mean written long form like 
thought out criticism. But so much just Twitter hip fire criticism comes from a place that's so obviously ignorant of what the fuck games take to be made Mm -hmm. that like I can as myself see it and go okay and scroll past it but I worry constantly for people who like are just more spongy and who just like see a thing and believe it and like I don't even hold them uh, responsible because like the world of information abundance we live in is a fucking nightmare to navigate I get it. And like, I'm very fortunate to have spent the last 15 fucking years basically writing about technology. And so like built this hard earned hardened skin for like, Oh, this is, that's valuable. That's not, that's valuable. That like, that's a, that discernment is not a thing that I had always, but I have it now. I don't know how to explain to somebody. This is how you get it. I just have to like show, Hey, that's not, but like, I can't imagine being young and being on the internet and like a game comes out and you liked it and then you hop on anything and see a bunch of people talking shit about it and then you're like, well, my friends didn't like it either. It must be bad. And I want to just like grab all those kids and give them a big hug and be like, no, you liked the thing. Everyone else didn't. Who cares? Who cares? It's fine. One One of the most vital lessons that I learned, and I feel like I learned it late in life, was was to not let anybody else's dislike of something ruin my enjoyment of it and i think that is increasingly happening in internet spaces there's there's popular slang like calling something cringe i you know what if you like a thing like your thing fucking like your thing yeah it's okay if somebody else doesn't like it i'm sure they like something else we have so many options yeah. Of all sorts of different things. And granted, those options could always stand to be a bit more inclusive and representative of sure. other lived experiences. Sure. But always. it is always an uphill battle that is increasing with the amount of potential that's out there. And again, I, I said it before, you have a finite amount of time on this planet. How about you spend it with stuff that makes you happy? How yeah. about you contribute to things that are enriching for you and the the things that you care about instead of punching down on stuff that makes you unhappy. If you if you are unhappy enough that it wants it, it drives you to action, then let that action make a difference. Yeah. If you dislike a thing and you don't see the type of media that you want to see, that's definitely what I started doing is I was like, "Hmm, I want more queer games that represent my perspective. Cool, I'm going to make that." And so sure. Being able to do that and empower yourself to make that change in a positive direction, that's something everybody can do. It's not easy. Yeah. And granted, the access to the tools to do so isn't always as accessible, but it has never been more accessible than it is now. Sure. And it, it's always a bummer whenever I see folks that just, they're determined to be negative. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, what what would you change about this to make it better? <laughs> Don't ask them that. And <laughs> they're like, uh... Yeah, they don't have yeah. an answer. They just don't like it. No. And I don't like anything about it. Okay. <laughs> well. I hate it. What's something yeah. that you do like? <laughs> just don't go focus on that, maybe. Yeah, just, just you know, take a second. Thinking of things that you like. Yeah. Have you, I mean, have you played any games recently that you liked? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, hmm. I moved, right? So for like yeah. three weeks, my office wasn't set up. 
So mm-hmm. I've been trying very hard to catch up on shit because, like, I missed Minecraft uh, Legends hmm. entirely. I wanted to give that a shot. I still can. Like, it's not gone. Um, I went back and uh, started playing Splinter Cell Blacklist again. A game from, like, 2013. That game fucking mm-hmm. rules. Um, but right now, fuck. Also, real quick, mm-hmm. just to bring the... If you see thing and you want it, you want it to be different. Go fucking make it. Um, that's Spider Verse. Yeah, it <laughs> like, sure is. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people that were like, "But what if we did it different?" And then they went and fucking did it. Now Ninja Turtles is like, "What if we did it like them?" <laughs> um, and that looks good too. It looks so fucking good. Can't wait. Um, also, the fact that the Ninja Turtles all sound like teenagers, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard it and was like, why do they sound so young? And I was like, teenage mutant, stupid. Why have I never thought of that? They're, they're finally teenager. <laughs> yeah, weird. They finally grew down uh, into teenagers. Um, God, what am I playing? I, I like? know, I love it when this question comes up. It, it happens to me too when it's <laughs> like, I've never played shit. a game in my life. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, well, other than Redfall, um, the Jedi, Jedi Survivor, survivor uh, mm-hmm. I'm... Not far in, but I fucking love it. I got to, like, the... I don't know if you've played any of it, but, like, the first big planet you land on... Oh, (laughs) shit. All right. Well, I'm behind. Um, The first big planet you land on, um, not Cabo, which is what the Waypoint guys called it on accident. Kobo. Kobo, Like, Kobo opens up, and I was like, I gotta stop. Because, like, it was, like, two in the morning, one. And also, like, I need to set aside time. Because I'm one of the people that if I like the way a thing feels... And there's a lot of ways to explore in that thing. Mm-hmm. I'll just do it forever. So I was like, I got, okay, this is huge. And like the last week since I got to that moment, I've had like an hour and a half every night to play mm-hmm. instead of like two or three hours. So I'm, I'm setting aside time, but I know I'm going to yeah. love that. I will um, make a recommendation there yeah. without, without getting into spoilers. There's some mobility that opens up in the game. Once you get that mobility, it makes that exploration vastly more rewarding yeah. because you get to certain points as you're exploring you're like how the fuck am i supposed to i can't <laughs> get over there sure that jawa is just taunting me <laughs> what am i supposed to do and it's because you haven't yet gotten sure. that traversal ability yet so once you get that those traversal abilities yeah that is when i i recommend going back and doing okay. all of that so kind of move through until you've unlocked some things and then come back mm-hmm. and really dig in okay that yeah. makes a lot and of the sense story, the story has some natural pauses and Breaks. points where, you know, you get to choose where you're going. And Kobo is always going to be like that base of operations that you return back to through sure. the narrative. You'll be back there. You'll have okay, other opportunities. Okay, good, good. That's very good to know because I will exhaust an area because I remember the first Mass Effect, like I 99% of it because there was one mission mm-hmm. I didn't do and I could never go back. And it infuriated me. So ever since that day, some cold spring day in 2009... I've been like, I, if something is available, I'm going to go fucking do it before I do the next story thing, because who fucking knows? Games are much better now at signposting, like, hey, mm-hmm. you can't come back. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go do stuff now. Um, Cyberpunk did that. If you go do this, this could be the end of the game. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll go fuck around for 10 more hours and then go finish the game, which is funny, because that so mission much. is like, the mission's like, go meet this lady for dinner. And it's like, yeah. And then like, 12 days of in-game time passes. <laughs> I'm like, I guess I just left her at the restaurant for two weeks. Um, 
Yeah, that and then um Oh, I did have one more. Oh, I'm playing God of War, Ragnarok. Oh, nice. Part of buying the new house was buying a PS5 uh for the living room and I got the last bundle that had God of War in it. Um I delayed the first game for like 2 years cuz it came out yeah. the same fucking summer my grandpa died. Like my uncle mm. finished that game and then the next day we put my grandpa's ashes in the ground and I was like, I don't know how the fuck you did that. Yeah, um, heavy. I waited a couple of years <laughs> and beat it in 2020. Um and then this one I didn't want to play it on PS4, so I got it on PS5 and like my relationship with my dad wasn't great, isn't perfect mm-hmm. now uh because of, you know, abuse and things like that. Mm-hmm. So like those games were a thing I loved in the past, but like the way they've changed Kratos to be the person that he is now and the way he feels about who he was and how he's trying to be a good dad rules. Mm-hmm. I love it. And like seeing the second game when like he's like, what did you discover? And Atreus is like, oh, oh, you want to know? <laughs> because he's realizing like, his dad is actively trying to be a part of his kid's life. It fucking rules. So it's grandma so and I good. are playing through that. Um, I loved that game more than I was expecting to. And I, I really enjoyed the, the first God of War game more sure. than I was expecting to. I, I think one of my very favorite parts, speaking about the character development, wasn't just Kratos and Atreus, but was Freya, specifically sure. her character arc coming out of the first game, and the beautiful through line and really raw emotional payoff that she gets in the second game was sure. Chef's Kiss really fucking. I solid. just the I can actually place exactly where I am, and you'll know. Um, yeah. Atreus just snuck out into Midgard to talk to her. <laughs> And nice. to be like, we got, we're going to try and, you know, and then she's like, well, Odin can't come here. And he's like, mm-hmm. well, he did. She's like, what? And he's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we found, uh, not Balder, sorry. That's dark. <laughs> uh, we found, we found Tyr. And she's like, what? He's like, you can come talk to him. And she's like, wait, he's alive? Uh, and then she starts to realize she's a little too curious in wanting to help. And she's like, get away. Get out of here. Go away. Get out of here, kid. <laughs> yeah, I was like, great, but like, there's a guy on on TikTok actually that's like a therapist that mm. plays through games and like will stop at moments and talk to his stream about like what you just saw was yada yada, and oh that's great. Oh, I'll I'll find I'll try and find a video of his and then I'll yeah, share it with do. you because there's a moment specifically that was like I got it by God of War fuck um, when you're in Svartalfheim for the first time. And then, like, Atreus is asking Tyr, like, how do you decide which side is right in a conflict? And Tyr's like, if you don't know, should you be choosing? And, and he stopped that and was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a great way to, like, turn. Like, because Tyr and Kratos, and I'm sure Tyr will even more so to keep doing this, are both trying to, like, form this, like, very directionless kid into like you know you may not find your direction but this is how you should think of things as you're attempting to find your direction and the way they like kind of just gently push back at like well maybe not that Uh, or like what if you thought about it differently i fucking love it it's great Mm -hmm. it's something Um, that i i wish more people had that type of gentle guardrail and it's not even all that gentle in God of War, but it is comparatively gentle to, I think, the lived experience that many people have. Sure. Whenever you are young and starting to figure out who you are as a person and 
how you are formulating it, your opinions and why you have opinions and what it's on, many people, I think, are not socialized with that openness and with that freedom. And it is something that I, I attribute to my parents greatly in that I feel very much like I benefited from being raised sure. by folks that were like, you have a brain. Let's engage it. Let's use it. This makes you uncomfortable. Let's talk about why. Yeah. This makes you happy. Let's talk about why. Let's see what the what the component parts are and where you can seek out other ways to engage in this way that's healthy and good. Yeah. And that is something that was always, I think, done through the lens of media because that was always not the easiest way, but it was a constant of how to, in, I think, it evolve as a person with some safe guardrails or again yeah, i, I sure. mentioned before i don't have to experience it myself this story yep. might have had this really challenging thing that scared me as a kid okay well let's talk about why that was scary yeah let's yeah, yeah. let's step back into the safety of reality and discuss and that's and what a great way to like subvert expectations by taking this like traditionally as the game's uh serial releases were uh very gruff, very masculine to the point of toxicity character. And just like one turn him into an old man, which like fucking rules. <laughs> like I have always really, really valued the opinion of older men. Cause I, I, I really valued my grandpa. So like Jeff Bridges talks and I'm like, ah, oh, Jeff Bridges. fucking love Jeff Bridges. Um, but, like, so turning Kratos into an old man, fucking cool. I'm already going to want to listen to him. But then, like, making him break down his own walls to be more tender and to be a good fu mm -hmm. fucking, like, if I was, if you told me 15 years ago, pick a character from a big character-based action platformer in the, like, 2000s that would be a dad talking to his son in, like, really kind ways... Not initially, of course, but eventually. I would not put the fucking pick God of War. It's no. so silly. Kratos um, wouldn't have been top ten. No, no. <laughs> that guy, there was a mini game where you did mm -hmm. things that my mom would yep. not have been proud of me for. Uh, yep. And they've completely shifted, and I love that so fucking much. But you asked me what I've been playing, and I have to ask you what you've been playing. Like Ooh, well, speaking of Jeff Bridges, top of my list is Tron Identity. I which, fucking oh, I haven't played it yet. <laughs> it's it's a very fast playthrough. I made okay. it through my first playthrough. I think in maybe three or four hours. I was surprised by how quickly it went. Uh, but I also I'm a longtime Tron fan. My dad worked on uh, the first Tron movie. What? And... That's don't. That's yeah. fucking incredible. <laughs> Holy shit! I know. Tron Tron Legacy is one of my fucking favorite movies. Good. Same. Um, so it. Yeah. I, amazing. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of Tron, and the Tron fandom is very small and very dedicated. And Legacy yes. revitalized it in a lot of ways, and it's been wonderful to jump into Tron Identity as a fan, but also because I think it is just a beautiful bite-sized game. And I wish there were more games like this. It is a visual novel that has a solid mini game, and basically a choose-your-own-adventure with a few branches. Mm -hmm. And after I finished playing it through the first time, I was like, well, what about this? What about that? And I immediately wanted to jump back in and play it through again and catch some details that I might have missed yeah. or make a slightly different dialogue choice that opened up a different option. Oh, yeah. So highly recommend Tron Identity. Even if you're not a fan of Tron, it 
it's just a really cool noir detective story that's set against the backdrop of really rich world building. I think it'd be very difficult to come away from it and not be more curious about all of the shit. Sure. It rules. Uh, Yeah. I finished Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I really appreciated that it didn't involve quite so much backtracking as the first game. Because that first Good. game, there were, there would be points that I would get to the end of a level. Oh, I would man. get so mad. I'd be like, do I have to? Mm-hmm. You do, though. Can, can <laughs> I just get it? Somebody put this ginger into a cannon and launch him back to the beginning. I don't want to go back all the way through Kashyyyk. Fuck. Uh, so fortunately, uh, Jedi Survivor yeah. is much, much better about having things that let you traverse far and a, more And a easily. much better map. Uh-huh. A much better map. Yeah, I I definitely like some of some of the areas that are designed. They're much more tight, I think, and more mm-hmm. focused. Yeah. BD1 I think is still my favorite Star Wars droid of all time. Great. And BD1's great. <laughs> the thing that stood out to me the most in this game because I'm a ginger is that Cal actually has ginger eyelashes, which is like they're they're very sure. pale and I have never encountered that in a video game ever in my life. There's a point where he closes his eyes and you see his eyelashes. And I was like, they're the right color. They're not black. They're not brown. I I love my shit. And it's it's such a silly thing, but it made me, my heart feel full. I was like, Mm -hmm. technology is finally advancing. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, I played through that. I'll be honest. It wasn't my favorite. I'm glad I played it through. There were some story parts that I was just like, okay. But there was also, I'm I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there is a sequence that's just cool as hell. It's one of the coolest Star Wars things I've ever gotten to do. I hope that you enjoy it when you get to it. And then other than that, I think I'll round it out with one game that I've played and one thing that is about a game. Uh, The other game that I played was the DLC for Horizon Forbidden West, the Burning Shores DLC, where there's some canon queerness that's really good and cute, and just... I, I love that world. I love the gameplay. It's more optional stealth should you choose to play it stealthily, which is always very, very Appreciate fun that. and, and yep. a cool challenge. It has the best character design I, of anything, of any game that I've played ever. I love right. the intricacy and consideration in the world and the character specifically. And there is kind of a beautiful send-off for Lance Reddick in the oh, game because his character Good silence, for them is also the it's got his likeness and it felt strangely prescient because he is the primary quest giver for the DLC. He's the first oh, person you talk to and yeah. he's the last person that you talk to in that DLC. And the last conversation that you have with him gave me chills because I was just like they couldn't have known. But it felt But it works. Yeah. yeah it felt very respectful and God, that just it hits like a freight train. I'm I'm not a huge Destiny fan. I know of Destiny Ooh. because I have a lot of friends that play it. Sure. I recently got to go and tour the new Bungie headquarters a couple of weeks ago with some friends. Oh, and amazing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was really rough to talk to some of the folks there about Lance Reddick's passing because they knew him. Yeah. He was he was, was not like a... just the guy that played Zavala. He was No, he was like a friend a, of the studio. Yeah, a treasured friend and collaborator. And yeah. I think collaborator is a very important term to to use in description of him because he gave such a shit about that game and the character and the so world much. and it shows. Did the players that went into the game and just sat around Zavala 
mm-hmm. the day that he passed. Like I, yeah. I just cried for like an entire afternoon. I was like, games fucking rule, man. Like yeah. the way that it allows people to memorialize, like fuck. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. And, and what's your the last the last yeah. thing that I'll mention is there's a phenomenal YouTube channel and Patreon and all sorts of other stuff called People Make Games and Man. they recently did a deep dive into what the fuck is going on with Zelm <laughs> and Disco Elysium and it is over two hours long and they had interviews with various folks from the studio the creators of Disco Elysium the folks who are now at the studio, various folks that worked on the game, and essentially just did their journalistic best to break down what happened and what is known, get those folks' perspectives in as much of an unbiased way as possible, and then have a general takeaway at the end where they were like, here's where we're at, here's the impression that we got from this thing, and everything is still unknown because the Estonian court cases are still underway. Sure. But holy shit. Yeah. It's it's intense. That's but awesome. Very worth watching. Yeah, I need to I need to I mean, hell, I've worked for myself during the day. I'll just fucking find some time <laughs> and watch that while I'm like editing something. Yeah. That rules. Um I have one question. I did not plan mm-hmm. I did not intend on taking two hours of your time, so I appreciate <laughs> uh and we could probably talk for two more hours. <laughs> but uh-huh. we barely we'll just, talked about Spider Verse. Right? Let's just give it some more time so that people have all watched it, and then we can talk about all of it in its splendor. Yep. Um, plus, I need to see it four more times before I can do that. Uh, so, like, we'll you'll be back on. We'll talk again. I guarantee it. Um, but I have a question I ask everybody. I also said we talk about food. We didn't do that very much. Mm-hmm. So to tease food, and then I'll ask you the second question because I asked two questions about food. To tease the food conversation to make you think about it until next time we decide to record. Um, if you could make a game about food, what food would it be and what kind of game would it be? Hmm. And you have to answer off the top of your head. You cannot think answer. about it. <laughs> I have an answer. I'm ready. Okay, fuck yeah, let's go. So here's the context. I'm a super taster. Which, oh, yes. what's a super taster? It's a book. Wild Wikipedia page. It sounds like an awesome power. Yeah. I have thousands more taste buds than the average person. Oh. You know how some folks genetically, cilantro tastes like soap? Mm-hmm. Similar deal. Only genetically, I taste at an intensity that is dramatically greater than the average person. If the average person's taste buds are like elevator music, I am always standing at the speaker in the front row of a heavy metal concert. That's what flavors are like. It sounds like a blessing and an, a, a huge curse. The same sure time. is. <laughs> <laughs> so all that to say, I have a complicated relationship with food, sure. but something that I've always appreciated about food is the way that it interconnects people and contextualizes cultures and experiences. Okay. So going back to Japan, one okay. thing that I really loved in Japan were izakaya and on Japanese menu, uh, they're, so an izakaya is kind of like a little mom and pop shop that will serve any any number of things. And on Japanese menus, often there's there's this option that is omakase, which is I'll leave it up to you. I will leave it up to the chef to make whatever it is. Yep. So my game would essentially be you are playing as the chef and people are choosing the omakase option and you are overhearing their conversation, maybe asking them a few pointed questions and then based on. Oh, what it is, is that you get from them. You are trying to make them a meal 
to give them a good time. Or if they're a dick, maybe you give them some, some extra spice. Maybe that's wasabi and not cucumber. I don't know. But this is a tremendous fucking idea. I love this so much. <laughs> I have I have a book called Your Home Izakaya in my kitchen that's um oh. like a guy that went and lived in Japan for fifteen years and then like basically made a like book full of Japanese fast food. Mm-hmm. But like not McDonald's fast food, like mm-hmm. all Izakaya stuff that's like, yeah, this is like spam and rice with kombu or whatever. It's just like, this is all a bunch of crazy shit. And it rules, one. Two, uh, every time I get sushi, I try, if I if I don't go to the place that I know, like the owner, and I'm just like, do whatever you want, homie. Um, mm-hmm. I try to find places that do omakase, because like we went to Comic-Con in 2018 and did like a $70, like 16 pieces all like in an order that was like different for every if, man. Oh, it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you one said of, like one of my. You said izakaya, and I was like, okay, <laughs> this might be too on brand for me. And then one you said omakase, favorite... and I was like, oh god, <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> when I was living in Japan, one of the best things that happened was thanks to an izakaya. It's a it's a quick story, or I can save it for the next time I'm on. Up to you. Oh, I'm so curious. Do it. Do it. Okay. So, uh, there, I was stationed on Okinawa, which is a very, very small island. It's like 67 kilometers from tip to tip. And some of my Marines and I were part of a rugby team, and we needed to get rugby gear. There was one sporting goods store on the island that had rugby gear. So everybody piled into my car, and we drove. And on the drive back, we noticed that my car was smoking from under the hood. And so pop the hood, and sure enough, there's a crack in the radiator. And I was like, mm. fuck, wait. I saw an episode of Mythbusters once, and they cracked an egg into the radiator, and it patched it. Fuck it, let's try. So where we had pulled over, there was an izakaya just across the road. So I walked in there, and was like, sumimasen, asked if I could get some eggs. And they were like, you want eggs to do the what now? Explain <laughs> to them what I was going to do. And they were like, we'll give you the eggs can we come watch? So <laughs> the folks that were working there and a couple of the patrons still carrying their beers all came out as I and all my Marines are crowded around this car and we crack a couple eggs into the radiator, start the car up and sure enough, it stopped smoking. It worked Stupid. well enough that I got it all the way back to base, drove it to the garage. And I was like, listen, if you find egg in there, here's why. And they repaired it and said, we never found any egg. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. How did you drive this? And I was like, Mythbusters, baby. Mythbusters, baby. That's incredible. (laughs) That rules. And on that note, um, if anybody wanted to find you or follow you or your work or buy some things you've designed, where would they do those things? Uh, The best place right now, as as social media is in its tumultuous (laughs) interim yeah, best or, or place with Twitter. a huge asterisk I next know. to it. <laughs> Twitter is the one social media that I chose to cultivate, and I'm sure. now having to figure out if I want to cultivate elsewhere. So on Twitter, it is my first name, last name, at Zara Varin, Z-A-R-A-V-A-R-I-N. I am also under the same name on Instagram, which I am glacially 
cryptid-like, but I'm trying to use Instagram more. I similarly on my Twitter and Instagram profile have a card with other links to other places where you can find my work. And uh, I will also always plug Dual Wield Studio and the work that we do. We run two storefronts right now, and that's dualwieldstudio.com and the official Innersloth Among Us shop. So that's shop.innersloth.com. If you've, if you've seen a space bean out in the wild, that was our team that helped get it out there. Okay, so we yeah. have... We have a small team full of folks that care an awful lot about making cool stuff. Hell yeah. That rules. Um, if you want to follow me anywhere, it's at lovewub everywhere. Uh, follow the website at nerdy underscore bits on Twitter. I had an Instagram, but I lost it because I put in my age, but the age of the website thinking it was a business page. And because it oh, was no. made 12 years ago, they were like, you're too young to be on Instagram. So it deleted my entire, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, the website for just go to nerdyvis.com um, where you can read, watch, or listen to any of the shit that we do. Um, thank you for coming on, Sarah. It was fucking great. Thank you for we'll, having me. You will have to come back great. probably in a couple weeks to talk more about Spider Verse and then all of the fucking Summer Game Fest shit that starts in like three days. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming. It was a blast. And who would have thought four or five, however fucking many years after? Uh, running into you with my grandma at a Halo thing. <laughs> we would talk about games on a podcast. It fucking rules. I love it. Thank you again for, for the invitation and for the wonderful conversation, as always. No problem, and I appreciate the compliment. Um, and as a sign-off, George Bernard Shaw said, you didn't stop playing because you got old. You got old because you stopped playing. So, don't stop playing games. Keep playing games. Keep having fun, because that's where it's at. And we'll catch you whenever the fuck we record another. Take it easy.